From Cambridge 105 Radio, this is The Business of Cambridge with Sue Keogh. Series 2, Episode 1 is brought to you in association with our friends at CMR, challenging the norm with innovative solutions. Hello and welcome to Series 2. Joining me in our virtual studio shortly will be our resident expert on HR, who will be talking about managing teams from a distance. But to kick things off, we have a common theme you'll find across this 10-part series, the need to pivot. Companies who found that business dropped off a cliff overnight in March 2020 and who had to adapt very quickly to find new revenue streams to stay afloat. Business was booming for Neil Baradwa, founder of the Cambridge Fruit Company, who were delivering fruit boxes to workplaces in and around Cambridge. And Steve the Barman, which is his real name, or so he tells me, was out every Friday and Saturday night with his mobile cocktail bar, making drinks at weddings and parties. And then it all stopped, just like that. So what happened next? Steve, when did you first notice that bookings were dropping off? Bookings didn't actually start dropping off. That was the thing. We just weren't allowed to do them. Uh, it was it was kind of uh, literally about the 16th or 17th of March when the lockdown came in. There was a big sheer panic amongst everyone. Uh, what do we do now? So, it's, you know, you start off thinking it's just going to be a few weeks and then it kind of developed into months. But it was just this. We had two schools. We had the people that were really panicking and didn't want to do events. And then we had the people that were just thought, oh, it's just the flu. Let's crack on. So, it, you know, it was balancing that for a few months. And what about you, Neil? So lockdown came into force. Workers were sent home. You had no one to deliver fruit to. So how were your stress levels at this time? Oh, they, they were very, very high. Um, yeah, we, we, just going back a few days from from that moment that you mentioned just now, um, it was the run up to it because there was a there was a period of um, do we lock down? Do we not lock down? What's going on? Um, and it was at that point when it was the businesses actually that first realised and they decided that actually maybe we shouldn't be sending our staff to work. And then um, it was that long weekend where I started getting emails on on the on the Friday morning. Then all over the weekend saying, can we cancel the fruit, cancel the fruit, no staff coming in next week, everybody working from home, cancel the fruit. And it was horrible. It was, it, it was, it was like a ticker tape in my inbox. It was just cancel the fruit. Um, and I wasn't actually that worried because I thought it would all come back quite soon. And it wasn't until, because we, we, we um, supply a, a bunch of primary schools as well. And it wasn't until the primary schools, um, they started um, calling me up and saying, actually, we, we're gonna, we've got to shut the schools down. Um, that's when the real panic set in um, and I, I felt rotten. I, I really genuinely th- thought I'd lost everything, really did. And how long had you been going as a business? How long had it taken you to build everything up? Oh, so we've been trading since um, the back end of 2004. So we've just had our 15th birthday and this is now our 16th birthday. So we we built up a base of probably about 150 odd customers, all trade. So everything was trade only. So as I mentioned, restaurants, schools, um, pubs, cafes, and of course, the corporate fruit box market. Uh, and that's what we've been doing all this time. And what about the team? Were they very worried? And have you had to furlough anybody? Well, here's the thing. Um, in my mind, I thought I would have to let staff go. But what, what actually happened at the, when we did the pivot, we had to, we were recruiting in friends and family, and we we couldn't keep up with demand. We we were getting we had to rent another couple of vans, um, and we we were just all out and, and and doing sort of sixteen eighteen hour days just for those first few weeks. Incredible, <laughs> you must have been exhausted. And how about you, Steve? So at some point, you must have realised that this situation was going to be continuing a lot longer than we first realised and you weren't going to be going back behind the bar in person anytime soon. So tell me about your YouTube channel and how you decided to put all your energy into this. Well, you know, the first 
I'm going to say the first month or so, April. And, you know, the wedding, it was, it was weird. I classed myself in the wedding industry, even though I'm kind of pre that, I'm hen parties. But the whole wedding industry was still under this big thing that we'd all be back to normal by May. So for me, it was just kind of like a little holiday, if you like. We just, I spent the last two weeks of March and because I couldn't do events, I just went, um, I'd already had my YouTube channel properly for a couple of years before that. But I'd learned a hell of a lot over Christmas, uh, where are we, 2019. Uh, and then from there, obviously, because I, what I do is I teach people how to make cocktails. So that's my hen party thing. Um, that very quickly went online. You know, all of a sudden, the first two weekends in March, uh, I've got a video that I'm very well known for, the Porn Star Martini, how to make it. Uh, and that just completely blew up on Google. And that was... Um, the, the making of my YouTube channel. I started the year off with just over a thousand subscribers in 2020, uh, and I'm just about to tick over uh, nearly 14,000 14, subscribers now. So I kind of blew up in that first month um, because That's, uh, people incredible. were just at home wanting to know how to make cocktails. I think it gives us a snapshot of what everyone was up to, up to coping with the pressures of lockdown. <laughs> They're all there making cocktails and following your videos. <laughs> And so one thing that strikes me and has struck me all the way through this crazy pandemic period is that actually small businesses have the advantage because you can make decisions very quickly and you don't have to run it past loads of people in all these different meetings and dilute the idea. So for you, Neil, tell me about how you moved from delivering fruit to businesses to residential. How quickly did you put that into action? Oh, this was this was brilliant because um, this is a, I think this is why why it got so popular in the first place. We um, I was consulting my Twitter followers throughout this whole process. Um, as I mentioned that first weekend, I was I was a lot of people because I, I tweet a lot, as as many of you may know, and I was just saying how down in the dumps I was, and I was a bit worried. And and on that Monday morning, I think I described it as a bloodbath when when all the cancellations were coming in. Um, and then very very quickly, um, I was I was asking my followers, saying what to do um, if I was to pivot, if I was to um, do supply fruit and veg to people's homes i was telling people i was quite inexperienced at this i was like we, we're not a normal family here because we, we we don't buy things from the supermarket we haven't bought veg um and, and stuff like that from a supermarket for years obviously because I, I bring it home from work um so i don't know what sort of quantities um, people want so i was asking people uh, i was asking the followers and taking pictures of various size boxes of fruit and veg or what would you pay for this or how much would you pay for that and then so, so uh, uh, my followers were kind of involved in the process and, and then it's a really great thing. And then the, the minute we went online, the minute um, the, the web commerce, uh, the e-commerce page went up, um, people were ordering straight away, straight away. And, and, and I mentioned that ticker tape earlier of cancellations. Now was the opposite. And I was getting it. Uh, my emails are just getting flooded. My inbox was flooded with, with orders after order after order after order. Um, and it, it just went absolutely insane those first few days. It's quite a roller coaster, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're listening to the Business of Cambridge on Cambridge 105 Radio with me, Sue Keogh, and Steve the Barman and Neil from the Cambridge Fruit Company. And I just want to ask you both a bit more about marketing, which is something that you've touched on a little. Steve, your YouTube channel is very strong visually. I was wondering about the kind of things that you made sure were featured to make it stand out from, from other people, because you can't be the only person on YouTube talking through how to make cocktails. So what, what's your secret? <laughs> what's my secret? Me. Just literally me. It, it's one of these things. I'm, I don't do much marketing. I never really share. I, I use Instagram quite a lot, but I never really share my stuff. I'm not one of these people to drop links of videos into groups and all that. It's, and because YouTube is a search engine, you know, it's, it's kind of that focused. But the one thing I do very differently to a hell of a lot of YouTube bartenders 
Um, most of the YouTube, and we're all friends. We all chat to each other, whether we're in Canada, America, you know, Australia. We all chat to each other. We all know each other really well. But the thing I do differently is because I realised that people, especially in the UK, were searching for how to make cocktails at home, just everyday people, whereas all the other kind of YouTube bartenders are very much focused on up-and-coming bartenders or the classic cocktails and things like that. And I just want people to have fun. That's kind of why I was, you know, kind of one of the go-to people for hen parties in the UK because I'm just, you know, I'm not there really to teach people. I'm there to, the way I describe hen parties, I'm there just to make memories for them, to help them have a great weekend. They don't, hen parties don't book me because they want to learn how to make cocktails. They want to create memories and that's what, the whole YouTube channel is kind of about, to be honest. It's it's just helping people have fun at drinks. But that that's obviously the one thing we haven't touched on is um, obviously I do a lot of Zoom online cocktail masterclasses as well. And you talk about marketing through my YouTube channel, I haven't had to market that at all. And I'm booked up every Friday and Saturday, even now through to March with online masterclasses because you know people have realized actually we're not gonna get together now for still another few months at least. And how about you, Neil? Have you, how important has the website and social media element been to you? Because you had all of those businesses on your books and then, of course, you've got to spread the word to a whole new market. So how important has that been? So we, well, I had a completely different process from Steve um, and I'm, I'm not sure how effective Google searches were for me. Um, and also, I'm, I'm still quite new to this. Um, so our strategy was just to attack all the local Facebook groups because that's where we thought um, a lot of eyes were. Um, so we we, we, jo- we we just joined up all, all the local groups, all the villages around Cambridgeshire. Um, and then we just kept putting up sort of pictures and price lists and telling everyone what we were doing um, and then and just sort of building a following from that. So um, we, 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 we had a look at the data and we we realized i think the i can't remember the numbers now off the top of my head but the, the bulk of our business was coming via facebook so that's where we spent a lot of time and that's where we we did virtually no marketing at all we just had our, our brochure website and that's all it was um so since then we've, we've taken on a marketing girl an amazing girl called jemima who does all that for us now um the other thing as well because we're in, in, in the B2B industry, we, we didn't have to do much marketing, or at least I never thought we did. Um, whereas B2C, this is this is where, where the pivot comes in. We have to work so hard now because we're up against the supermarkets and we're up against the, you know, the really big players with big budgets. Um, so it is really difficult and we, we can't take our eye off the ball now. Yeah, I think you're after a very, very local market, aren't you? And then for Steve, anyone can watch those those videos from all over the world. I'm going to ask you straight about money. <laughs> so a lot of people look at YouTube and they think, oh, yeah, I'm going to become a YouTuber and, and make a ton of money. But it's not that easy, is it? So what are the tips? What are you doing to actually get some revenue out of this while you're having fun with so your cocktails? This blows quite a lot of people's mind. Bearing in mind, I love learning. Uh, I've been one of these people ever since I realised I was auditory and I learned through that. I've podcast, I've consumed podcasts and audiobooks and I've, I've learned so much in the last two years. The one thing that blows people's minds is actually take YouTube, the AdSense revenue, which everyone knows about it. You know, you get paid money. Uh, YouTube pays you for videos and the adverts that run before that. No one actually realises that that's the last piece of the jigsaw. For me, I had, uh, at the time, I had eight other income streams before I was even able to get monetized uh, through my YouTube channel uh, directly. So everything from affiliate marketing to my blogs, uh, to YouTube, to my membership site now, um, I've got direct sponsorship deals. I don't pay for much booze. So actually the videos uh, that I make are pretty much free apart from the fruit and the the ice and stuff like that. Um, And to touch on money side of it, I'm genuinely sitting here now thinking I don't need to go back to events. 
I make more profit now through YouTube and my online business. And that, that includes uh, the Zoom cocktail masterclasses as well, which I think will be around quite well. We, you mentioned, I was just going to pick up on something you said a minute ago. Um, my audience is global. Uh, just take uh, the recent, last Friday, um, I did a cocktail masterclass. I was in Dubai, New York, uh, Singapore, South Africa and London all at the same time. I couldn't do that for an in-person event. So this has just opened up a whole new world and people say, when do we think we're getting back to normal? And do you know what? For, for people like me and doing these online events, uh, there's just a massive new world out there to explore. But as, as I say, YouTube, I'll be up to uh, 11 income streams and then hopefully 13 income streams uh, by the end of this year because I'm looking at a product, a book. So I've still got my book, but I'm looking to put a book on Amazon as well. Um, so hopefully that'll be 13 income streams off the back of that. So, yes. Wow. Uh, <laughs> You're yeah, going to run, run out of fingers could, to count these on. I could talk all day about the income from YouTube. It, it's just one of these people, mm. and I think it should be taught a lot more, especially in schools, especially to kids, because kids just really, and, you know, even people going into business, they just think YouTube is just there. You just put a video up and that's it. Um, and I'll leave you with this quote that I heard a few, about a month or so ago. Uh, from another YouTuber, they said you have to treat, enjoy YouTube like a hobby, but treat it like a business, and that is what most people miss. That is really good advice, and and for you, okay. So you've got this whole new revenue stream, so the the residential market, but at some point these businesses, offices are going to open again. You've got all these employees that have been working from home, not eating their fruit. They've all got scurvy, <laughs> and so all these bosses are going to be ringing you up and saying, right, when are you going to come and deliver to me again? So how are you going to cope with that? That extra demand. It's like like March twenty twenty in reverse. Well, here's here's the thing. I, I actually. As it stands, um, as we are right now, I don't know if those offices are going to come back. And if they do come back, are they going to come back at 100% capacity? Um, and even if they come back at half capacity, are they still going to want to, everybody putting their hands in the same fruit bowls? So this is the thing. I'm, I'm, at a, I'm at a bit of a weird crossroads right now, what to do, um, and if that market will, will actually come back you know, the, way, the way I'd like it to. Because currently, the way I'm thinking right now, I'm, I'm not sure it will. We, we've all completely changed our habits over the last year or so, haven't we now? We're all working from home. And um, one thing's for sure now, I know that everybody is at home. So for me, I'm going to focus on the home market and try and serve every, everybody um, as well as I can that way. And if if that fruit, that corporate fruit market does come back, then it's going to be a bonus. And then I'm just going to have to cross that bridge if we get there. But as it stands, Sue, um, I just don't know if it's, it will come back. Mm, mm, that's interesting. And so one last question to you both. What piece of advice would you share if someone was making a dramatic change to their their business model like you have what's the most important thing to remember if they want to make it a success the one thing is so i'm going to focus on the youtube side of things like there and the on let, let's face it online world it has never been easier to start a business online whether you're talking about selling on ebay whether you're doing you have products and you want to sell on etsy whether you're talking about drop shipping on amazon it's never been easier to start online it is just a complete open world for you but the one thing i will say if you are focusing on youtube do not expect uh, to blow up instantly. You literally probably one in 10,000, one in 100,000 channels uh, will blow up uh, within the first year or so. It's a very long process. I'm nearly 500 videos in now. As I say, I started back in 2018. This was a very long-term project for me. 2022 was the time I thought that I would be retiring from events. It just so happens COVID has helped uh, me to do that a lot earlier, but, um, I wouldn't have had that time. Had I been working, I wouldn't have had that time to go back through my back catalogue of videos and then boost my channel that way. So 
whatever you do, stick at it. You're not going to be an instant success unless you're Neil and you've just found this huge market straight away. It, these things take time. You're not going to start making money and replace your income uh, within a month, two months, three months. Uh, but if you start the whole online thing and just absorb as much knowledge as you can, whether that's through podcast and podcast world has exploded as well. There's so much information out there. You've just got to reply yourself to learn. If you don't learn anything, if you don't take on knowledge, you are going to get absolutely nowhere. And that's where people fail because they don't invest in themselves uh, and then don't give it enough time to actually kind of brew and build into something awesome and spectacular. So that's my only advice. Just apply yourself, learn and give it time. That sounds like solid advice to me. How about you, Neil? Yeah, it kind of touches on on Steve's point there as well. Actually, um, don't be afraid to to keep pivoting if that makes sense. Or, or if you if you do pivot and you don't see any instant results, just 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 remember if you know you are a small business and you, you just got to keep trying different things, um, try your different formulas and, and, until something works because something will work. Um, uh, but don't don't get nagged out if it doesn't initially and if it doesn't blow up straight away, as Steve says. So yeah, just just keep working at it, keep doing it, keep going, and uh, do not fear failure. Because, because we have to fail at some things um, and, 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 you, and you'll hit that jackpot. Thanks so much for joining me today and sharing all these tips. That was uh, Neil Baradwa, founder of the Cambridge Fruit Company and Steve the Barman. Thank you. You're listening to the Business of Cambridge in association with CMR. And in this series, we're going to spend a few minutes at the end of every show with one of our business experts. In this opening episode, I'm joined by Kirsten Smith from Face to Face HR. So we're talking about furlough schemes, we're talking video interviews, and we're talking about the challenge of bringing new people on board who have only ever seen their colleagues from the waist up on a video call. So Kirsten, let's start with furloughing. Can you tell me about the challenge it's presented to business owners? It sounds like a total nightmare to suddenly get to grips with this whole new scheme and implement it as well. Yes, so I think it has been a real challenge for so many people. Um, I think, first of all, the fact that it's just something completely new presents its own challenges. I mean, certainly from, you know, for uh, accountants, HR people, as well as then business owners, they're having to get to grips with this completely new scheme, something they're not familiar with, a new portal that they have to use. Um, And coupled with that, just the fact that the regulations have changed so regularly. So um, back in March, April time, when this first started, we've seen change after change sort of through the summer um, and then at one point last year when it looked like that was going to come to an end and the job support scheme was going to start, that then didn't happen and, and the rules kind of changed. You know, there was there are things coming up like not being able to use furlough for no periods and things like that, which, which are kind of new. Um, and, you know, as HR professionals, we've struggled to keep on top of them. So we certainly sympathise with, you know, that's not their main job. Yeah, exactly. And, and then what about staff as well? I imagine it's been quite difficult for people who have been on furlough. Definitely. I think, um, you know, some many staff that have been furloughed have really wanted to be at work and really wanted to be, you know, helping their businesses through these struggling times. And instead, they're sort of sitting at home, you know, running out of DIY projects and just really wondering about the futures of their jobs, you know, not really sure whether they're going to have jobs to go back to. You know, back in the businesses, you've got managers uh, and other staff kind of struggling to do as much work as they can to keep the business afloat quite often and then you know they don't really have the time to keep in contact as much as maybe sort of really necessary for those on on furlough back at home. 
Yeah, I was wondering if it had led to any division or, or friction. So you've got some people, like you say, working flat out. And then is there a perception sometimes, oh, well, it's all right for you, you're on furlough sitting around. Has there been any, any, any of that going on that you've seen? I think there definitely has. And um, where I've seen it sort of really successfully dealt with is people trying to uh, rotate staff that they have on furlough so that everyone gets that sort of if that's possible you know that's obviously kind of quite an idealistic way of looking at it Um, but if there are people that do similar sorts of jobs that can be kind of rotated uh, over time periods then that has worked quite well but you know in other companies where there are people it's almost been kind of an impossible choice who to furlough and who to uh, to who to keep in the workforce and and it's definitely led to some some resentment and you know business owners trying to ha- have to think of creative ways to really you know keep keep everybody happy you know keep those staff that are at work working happy as well as keep in contact and keep the mental well-being kind of better yeah it's such a difficult balance isn't it and and what about bringing new people into the business so some companies are hiring what are they doing differently when hiring perhaps putting interview processes in place that weren't there before but still feel quite robust well I think it's really important to remain robust and I'd always I'd always advise business owners to be really robust in recruiting anyway because you know just a just a kind of quick interview that I think a lot of people try to do uh, doesn't really tell you anything about how somebody's going to perform in a job so I think it's it's about even further robustness and I think really making sure that you've got all of your kind of screen a screening stage in place whatever that looks like if it's a if it's a phone interview etc as well as that CV screening and kind of matching against what you're really looking for for that role also making sure that there is some sort of face-to-face interview in in any way possible so over zoom over teams that kind of thing so you are kind of getting a chance to you know albeit it's not quite the same you know bond and get a real feel for that for that person um, and possibly kind of things like team introductions as well so that people really understand who they're going to be working with um, I would also say you know if it's possible and if it's if it's safe and obviously only if it's safe for people to actually get the chance to visit the workplace if of course they're not remote workers anyway um, just because I think it really helps them to build up a picture and you to build up a picture um, of what the reality uh, of working together is is going to be like um, and I think yeah I, I've also seen quite a lot of business owners really get creative about the types of practical exercises they set for people I think that's something really important in recruitment that's often overlooked making sure that there's some sort of a practical stage so I've seen quite a few you know creative things like presentations that people are um, asked to give I've even seen people you know make videos and things like that to kind of present themselves so um, I think yeah just kind of getting creative but yeah really being really being robust and perhaps adding in sort of little extra steps to recruitment. Yeah, I imagine some of these practices will be taken on long term as well. So one one thing that you mentioned um, about visiting workplaces and helping people get to know the teams, this all relates to onboarding as well, one mm. of those words that everyone hates. Mm. But I imagine it's been <laughs> really hard. If you're starting a new job, you've not really been there, you haven't met people, how are you going to pick up on all of those little ways of working, all those little nuances, the team dynamic? What have you seen companies do here to try and make people feel welcome when they start a new job? Yes, I definitely think that's really challenging. Um, I've seen quite a lot of companies do, you know, nice gifts and things like that from uh, to welcome people to the team, you know, making sure that I think it's actually in a way it's it's kind of positive because people have really thought hard about how are people going to get to know their teammates. And, you know, if that's something that 
is overlooked normally then it can only really be a positive if, if people are doing more of it so I've seen quite a lot of attention paid to you know induction onboarding processes where people are just having much more frequent meetings um, the chance to speak one-on-one -on -one with colleagues the chance to speak with different parts of the team different departments you know different managers that kind of thing so actually from that point of view it can be quite positive because people are really conscious of making sure that people get as much information as possible and you know verbally rather than sometimes I think people might just send information you know whereas actually having that that one-to-one -one time you know speaking communicating albeit electronically um yeah can be really really valuable so would you say although it's been a very difficult time it's actually led to quite a few positive improvements I think it has in some ways um yeah I think potentially we probably need to be careful not to kind of just drift into into laziness and it becoming that kind of norm of oh well you know every, this is what everybody goes through and you know we don't we don't meet anybody in the team you know obviously that's not possible sometimes anyway we, with remote teams but I think if we can kind of keep up that sort of care and attention that we're paying to making sure that people feel really settled um, and that on an ongoing basis making sure that people are feeling you know well and part of a team and and all those kinds of things and that yeah that that can only be a positive. Thank you, Kirsten. Next time we'll be talking marketing and communications and getting insights into the housing market from our resident expert in property. The Business of Cambridge was presented by Sue Keogh and brought to you in association with CMR, business advice for small companies. The programme and podcast is a TDC production for Cambridge 105 Radio.